everyone, and welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into Major League Soccer's on-field action. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, I'm going to say one number, and I want your reaction. 19. Number of passes that the Columbus <laughs> crew had before that, that goal they scored. Yes, it is. That goal Oof. was a fantastic, beautiful Oof. team pass and move. Switch, 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 switch goal from the crew. And you got to see it. We got to see it. Everybody got to see it. It was fantastic. Yeah, gosh, it was nice. <laughs> and we'll talk about that. We're going to get yeah. there. But first, okay. as we do, we're starting with the morning game from today. And that's Toronto FC and New England Revolution playing to a nil-nil draw. Later, we'll get to Columbus and Atlanta and we'll get to Montreal and DC United. But first, with that morning game, lots of lineup rotation in this one for the Revolution. No Gustavo Bo, no Carles Hill. Six total changes from the Revs from their last game. And that led a lot in the first half to TFC controlling the tempo in this game. Well, something too that we expected of Toronto throughout the entirety of this tournament, right? They are a team who can control the tempo and it, it they came out and um, it's a hard time of day to play, right? One of the things I left this game thinking about, and we'll go over the game in a little bit more detail, is New England is good. I like the, they have an ability to attack that I think is one of the, you haven't seen it in a few years from New England, maybe towards the end of last year, right? With the introduction of Bruce Arena, but now, um, with a little bit more time under his belt to really get this team, I feel like they have a freedom in the way that they attack that's, that's fun to watch. And you could even see some of that without Bo and Heal in the lineup. Bo yeah. comes on midway through the second half and you get another boost there that allows the Revolution to step a little bit higher and to pressure more and control a little bit more of the ball in that second, the end of the second stretch of this game. But even with Fagundes up top partnering Buxa and even with some changes in midfield and in the back line, you can still see the way this team gets out, especially, I think, in transition. Okay. They can be dangerous with the the front two, in this case, again, Fagundes and Buxa. Working together, Fagundes would sometimes occupy defenders in transition to create space for Buxa, or vice versa, or whatever it looks like with the, the outside midfielders moving forward, and Kellen Rowe providing some service from the center of midfield. It's a good look from the New England Revolution. I wish, I sort of wish they would lean into it even more. Yeah. And become almost fully dedicated to that transition style. But still, I understand maybe them wanting to play with the ball occasionally. And yes, they don't get any goals in this game doing either one of those things, possessing or trying to attack in transition. But I would agree with you, Jordan. I think the building blocks are there for the Revs. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because the first to the second half, I actually, I didn't notice... Kellen Rowe in the first half. And he's someone that I had noticed and talked about in the last game. And then 10 minutes, less than 10 minutes into the second half, he helps in it with his creativity and trying to help. He nearly assisted a goal for New England there right at the beginning of the second half. And that's something that I think he is good at. It was a transition moment, like you noticed, and or like you said, and he is so good at distributing and having some a, a different look at the way that this team can get out and attack. So uh, I I didn't think of it that way, but I, now that you're saying that, I kind of bring two and like brought two and two together, which is cool. It is cool. Shifting over to Toronto FC, throw the other half of this nil nil draw. I want to focus on Josie Altador and Ayo Akinola. Altador oh, okay. comes on. Altador comes on in this game for Chris Mavinga in the 86th minute. It's our first look at Josie in this tournament. Immediately, he posts up against a Revs defender and plays Ayo Akinola behind the back line. 
Akinola draws a foul that's originally ruled a penalty, then moved back to a free kick. It's quick involvement from Josie Altidore. In that moment, that combination between those two players had me thinking, can we see those two guys start on the top of a 4-4-2 for Greg Vanny? Does that work? When you said immediately, I thought you were going to say immediately you saw that Josie had been working out (laughs) because he looked very strong. So going to your actual question after I got distracted, I think it could. The question is, how do you fit in the other pieces, right? Mm. With Pozuelo, with Piatti, who I feel like they've done a really good job of connecting with each other in these first few games for Toronto. I think you have to try it out one. You have to give that a longer chance to to work than what it was just given today. But is it become a place where Josie is your starter and Akinola comes in and he clearly has a game-changing ability, right? And if you can maximize his pace and his knowledge of when to run and the right times, you might have a good partnership of him coming off the bench and being able to exploit space. So I, I think it can work, and I'm saying give it a shot. But if not, I think... You can't be mad at a a substitute who comes in and changes games. They're both good options. I think that's important to note. They're both good options. When I was thinking about this question, I I first was thinking, okay, in my head, Josie Altidore and Akinola are very similar players. That's what I was originally thinking. Their build is very similar. Their physical characteristics are similar, and they are. I thought about it a little bit more, and I watched some footage of these two guys, and they're very different. After that initial sort of misconception... Josie likes to post up, like I talked about. He likes to drop into midfield, even when Giovinco was with Toronto. It was Josie dropping back so often into midfield, not Giovinco. Because what happens, Joe? What happens when Josie's on the field? You you saw it right away. He draws those center backs. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, Josie's on the field. We can't let him beat us. And that's what happens. There's so much attention. Yeah, there's so much attention that goes to him, which is, is appropriate. It's justified. And it allows a player like Akinola, whose I think preferred method of attacking is to make a run behind the back line. Yes. It's the complete opposite of Altidore. Altidore wants to drop in. Akinola wants to push forward. And that's why I think there's a chance that this could actually work as a strike partnership in sort of not an old fashioned 4-4-2, because I don't think we'll see Greg Vanny lump the ball forward. I know we're not going to see that. But their skill sets complement. Yes, it'll be off-centered. It'll be shifted and more free-flowing. But I think those two players and their skill sets complement each other in a way that could work as a strike partnership with maybe Pozuelo out wide, tucking inside. I actually think they could play a box midfield. Like a 4-2-2-2, which we see the Red Bulls play. Because they have outside backs who can get forward. Larea has shown that already in this tournament. And um, he could provide the width, at least on one side, where you could tuck that midfielder in. Say it is... Pozuelo on that side and he could come underneath those two and be the outlet and the, the the link up play and not have to provide the width. I think that could be a really fun, fun way to get them all on there. You hear that, Greg? We're making we're making <laughs> options for you. Uh, is this a speed dial to Greg? Danny? I'm, <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> we did it. We've gone through the New England Revolution and Toronto FC on to the next game of today. That's Atlanta United versus the Columbus crew with the crew winning one to nothing. 
Yeah, I'm going to go over just a, a little bit of the setups of these two teams really quick before I just dive straight into it. Um, because I was covering this game, I am going to cover this game and Joe's going to cover the next game. So we're going <laughs> to kind of go back and forth a little bit and quiz each other on what's what actually happened. Uh, Atlanta setting up in their 3-4-2-1 that they like to play. Um, Adam John starting up top for them and then Columbus 4-2-3-1. So um, right away, this game was you could tell that there was something on the line and it seemed like Atlanta showed up initially, but then Columbus within minutes started to get the ball and they started to pass and they started a high press and they, they noticed an opportunity where Joe, when, when teams play in a three, say they play in a three, five, two, or even this three, four, two, one, a lot of those times the wing backs drop in to be a five back, right? Or mm-hmm. at least provide some kind of look where, um, you create a numbers up situation in the back, whether it's, and one of the wing backs on the strong side stepping to the ball and then it becomes a four person back line. Or you can look across the back line and it looks like there's five defenders there. Atlanta wasn't doing that. And so they were trying to play out of the back and they were trying to play out of the back three V three against the Columbus crew. And it did not work out in their favor. Crew noticed it right away and they hunted and won nearly every outlet ball that Atlanta tried to play getting out of their own end you can't give the columbus crew extra possessions if i know anything that we've learned in this tournament so far (laughs) it's that one thing giving the columbus crew extra possessions by not matching up well in the back in build up when you're trying to build out if you're atlanta united that's a big big problem yeah it it was a problem for atlanta and so much of a problem that i don't even think they knew what to do because they didn't have any of the ball and they looked they looked very lethargic in the first half like they couldn't get themselves into the game. And I feel like the crew took that and just continued to do what they do best, which is possess. And it made it even harder on Atlanta. And you mentioned it at the top of the game. And the goal came from a 19 pass sequence that showed a lot of the different things that the crew have. We've talked a lot about Darlington Nagby, but there is a moment in this 19-pass sequence where Artur is the one getting double-teamed, and he just chops his way. I think he croifs it. He gets out of it so cleanly and is able to swing to the other side of the field. But this is the, the issue, is when Atlanta went to press, they never really put pressure on the crew, and it allowed them in the first half to have so much joy. Atlanta United bummed me out, so I want to talk about this goal from the Columbus crew because it's so, <laughs> so beautiful. I, I took in my notes because I did watch this goal. This is the, yeah. the biggest thing that I saw from this game. And I was amazed by the fact that the crew started the possession on the left half of the field, then sent it to the right, then worked it back to the left, then to the right, then to the left again. They shifted Atlanta United's defense into submission on this play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so much horizontal ball movement to pull those players out. I think by the time the ball got in the box... Well, I mean, we can see this in the tape as Mokhtar makes the run because it's Mokhtar who plays it wide to Valenzuela, not wide necessarily, but he plays it to Valenzuela on the left side of the box. Mokhtar then after he leaves, after he passes the ball to the left, makes his run into the box and gets on the ball and scores it. But he's so open because Atlanta United just let him walk through. No one is impeding his run. No one is blocking him off. Mo Adams doesn't do anything to step in front and bother Mokhtar. 
So Valenzuela just plays it back, and it's a calm finish, 1-0 Columbus. Yeah, it was a lot of that in the first half. The second half, it definitely flipped. And I, I think it's hard to talk about a goal that goal without talking about the pass from Milton Valenzuela. He gets an assist. This is a, a key player in the way that the crew want to play, and he hasn't played a lot because he tore his ACL last year. He comes back, has a little bit of a knee injury, and played a game and a half before all this you know, I mean, not that there was much more to play than that, but to come back after an injury and that be your first contribution, pretty good, because that was where the seam was. And I think that's what the crew did, right? They played to what the defense was giving them. Okay, well, you want to give us the space on the right? Well, we're going to move you all over to the right. And then we're going to see that the space on the left, we're going to move you all over to the left. They manipulated the numbers, right? And that's all what, that this game is about. Manipulating numbers, manipulating space, and then exploiting space. And um, it was really good from the Columbus crew. And the second half for Atlanta, I have to credit them that they did come out and you knew that they were going to try to make something happen. That You know, they had to. Not only are three points on the line, but if they didn't get any results, they, they were for sure out of the tournament. And so they came out with a little bit more liveliness. But still, there's a connecting piece that's missing with Atlanta. And that's where I'm really curious. Like, what is the change that needs to happen for Atlanta for them to utilize all of the, these players that they have? It's such a mess right now. They've downgraded the lineup over the last couple of seasons, especially headed into this season. They end this tournament with zero points, three losses. They're out of the MLS's back tournament. Atlanta United is probably at a low point in their franchise career, I would say. Oh, <laughs> they've had a lot of high. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, they've had a lot of high, and so I think they've really, they're getting a taste of what a low feels like. And to me, it just, Joe... I, I think about this squad and yes, they have downgraded and I, I'm with you on that. But this squad, you can look and say, okay, it might be better than other rosters that we see though. And so you have to figure out a way to make the pieces fit. And I think right now it's like square peg, round hole. It's not working. And so you have to use, I was saying um, after the game that maybe, maybe they switch to a, a four, two, three, one or a four, three, three where Pitti is playing in this, an actual number 10 role and they have a little bit more defensive stability and some connector pieces in the midfield. I don't know. It's just missing something and it doesn't feel like it's, I mean, it's not working. So I don't know. <laughs> That's why it doesn't feel like it's working. Well, hopefully depending on how the major league soccer season continues after this tournament, we'll get a better look and a yeah. longer look at how Atlanta United are actually going to play and rebound yeah. from this. But that's it. We'll find out the rest of the group standings tomorrow. The Columbus crew, though, are advancing from this group stage. They're on nine points. They will be the top seed in this group. Exactly. Columbus, top seed, leading, leaving that group. And we're going to move on. Since we don't know how that group is going to end until tomorrow, we're going to go to the last game of the day. DC United, Montreal Impact. We're back in Group C. We had earlier, we talked Toronto and New England Revolution. I didn't mention then, and we didn't talk about the fact that both of those teams will be advancing out of okay. this group as the top two. Toronto on top of Group C, the revolution in that second spot. DC United now, after losing this game, has been eliminated from the tournament. Montreal, with this 1-0 win, keep their hopes alive. They may be able to make it out as one of the three seeds in this sort of wild card format. And you were starting to think maybe DC United with that comeback they had in the first game, they would maybe figure out a way here, but 
couldn't figure out a way against Montreal Impact. What what did you notice about this game? Like, you want to start with Montreal? Yeah, let's do it. So Montreal, okay. for the first time, to my knowledge, that I've observed under Thierry Henry, defended in a 4-4-2 or a 4-3-3 and played largely out of a 4 at the back shape. Oh, In the okay. past, it's been 3-5 at the back with three center backs. Tonight, we saw two. Mm. We saw two guys playing in the middle of a 4-4-2 largely. I think in the second half, it shifted a little bit to a 4-3-3. But it's Tidare on the left side of midfield and Uruti on the right side. And it's Boyan and Roma Kyoto up top. The 4-4-2 didn't look super comfortable. The players didn't look like they were accustomed to that, which is understandable because they're probably not. But the idea and the thing that I liked about this the most, I think, is that the 4-4-2 defensive block shifted into a fluid 4-3-3 or a 4-3-1-2 with Bojan moving centrally, either from the left side or just starting centrally underneath a front two. Okay. That possession look allowed all three midfielders for the impact, Wanyama, Tider, and Piet, to get on the ball and move possession forward while all playing in the same midfield and still having outlets up front. Yeah. And outlets outside as well, right? Because we saw Piet at the beginning of this tournament play a wing back. And now he has someone, when he's still playing centrally, he has an outlet pass to find width and it doesn't have to be him. Yes, which is a good thing for the impact. I like the idea, but it didn't have the the desired result from Henri. So do you feel like this gave them more stability? A little bit more stability. DC United also not, not the team that's going to expose you for open gaps in a new defensive shape. Therefore, a good team to try this against. Perfect time. It's a perfect time. Yes, it's an important game. And if the Impact lose this, they're in trouble. But the idea of playing against DC United, who you're not really afraid of with the ball, no Edson Flores in this game, it's fine. It's a great time for it. Why not, right? That's still, I think, the theme of this tournament. Why not? And it worked Mm -hmm. out for Montreal to give it a shot in this game, maybe have some points to improve on for future games in that different shape. Right. Okay, let's talk about the goal in this game, because it's, it's a funny one. It's tied air with the goal in the 31st minute, and that's the only goal that we see in this match. So it is the game-winning goal midway through the first half. It starts on a short corner from Aruti, who plays it into Bojan. Bojan then swings it to Tider, who is positioned well, well outside the box on the left side of the box. Tider hits it with his right foot, and while the ball is in the air, Briant sticks out his left leg and essentially just flicks Tider's shot into the back of the net. Jordan, I mean, it would have been a, a clean finish. It would have been a great finish <laughs> if Briant was a Montreal player and not a DC United center back. Yeah, that stinks. I've been there. Well, okay, so let me ask you about that because I watched this goal a bunch of times and I still can't figure out what is happening in Briant's head at that moment. Why does he stick his leg out? What's happening? You know, I, I think when you're a defender and you come up against a shot like that, you probably, in ways, you're thinking... One, maybe he doesn't know where his goalkeeper is. Maybe he thinks his goalkeeper comes... Because where the shot came from, he could have thought his goalkeeper was on the far side, not the near side where he Hmm. ended up scoring because of where the ball had just come from, right? Because it got swung around. And so the goalkeeper's positioning. But also you're just taught to block shots. You're taught to block shots and you're taught to try to get deflection. And a lot of the times that works, but some of the times it doesn't work. And This was one of those times. That's really helpful because I was baffled and it looked like after the ball hit the back of the net, Briant was baffled too and was kind of shocked at what had just happened. So that is helpful to have that bit of clarity into maybe what was happening in his head. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's I possible. Don't I don't think th- I don't think we want to be in his head after it went in because it's probably not a fun place to be. That's a good point. 
The only other thing I really want to talk about from this game, we gave it a, a little bit of the short shrift here, but it wasn't the best game of soccer. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with DC United. Okay. I really, really wonder what Ben Olsen's vision is for this team. Because they're not great at anything. And when Edson Flores and Federico Higuain aren't on the field, I'm not sure they're good at anything. They're out of this tournament after finishing fourth in their group. Higuain rescued them multiple times in this tournament. He came on in this game, doesn't help them get a goal. Not surprising. Eventually, we're going to run into that. Yeah. And DC United are done. They don't transition especially well. They don't really move the ball especially well. They don't apply defensive pressure especially well. I'm confused. I don't think I have a good answer as to that could that can solve that, you know, because I, I don't know. I feel like this has been D.C. United for a while and mm-hmm. um, maybe some more time together as a unit will help solidify what they want to be going forward. It's possible. And again, we'll have to wait and see. Two teams that we've talked about even just today joining Inter-Miami as the teams out of this tournament, Atlanta, D.C. United, and Diego Alonso's Inter-Miami team. Jordan, we'll be back again tomorrow to talk through the rest of the team's that are still in this tournament with more soccer. Yes, sounds good. We're, we're getting there. We're getting to the end of the group stage show. We are almost to the knockout rounds. We're very, very close. I'm wow. excited. Yes. All right. Good job. Listeners, thank you for listening. Jordan, thanks for chatting with me.